morning. Ah, this is nice, isn't it? Nice to be with family, isn't it? Is it nice to be with family? Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? And uh, I was thinking, if I, if I asked a question now, I know that everyone would answer yes. Uh, so um, if I was to pray now, do you think God would answer? Yes. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray then. Father, we want to pray for John as he ministers this morning, that, Father, you would give him the words to speak and that you would bless our brothers and sisters at the Baptist Church and you would bless our brothers and sisters in other churches in this town. And, Father, we pray that many people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour in Herm Bay. Amen. And, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear your word this morning. Father, that we would hear your word. Father, that we would respond to what you are saying to us. Father God, the entrance to your word brings light. Your word brings life. Your Holy Spirit brings life and vitality. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who are equipped by your word and filled with your Holy Spirit and effective for the work that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've always wanted to say this to the PA desk. I'm ringing. That feels good. <laughs> okay, so we're looking at, we're looking at um, <clears throat> 1 Peter, chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to do things a bit differently. Normally I hand out the notes, which means you get all my jokes before they come out. So, so um, they're going to be available at the end because I don't want to get locked into tradition. Um, but the first thing we're going to do is we're going to read the Word of God, which is the most important thing that we can do this morning. So uh, for those visiting, and I'd like to welcome everyone in the balcony, I'd like to welcome everyone in the overflow, I'd like to welcome everyone that came to the first service this morning. Do we believe that? Are we going to go for that? Yes, well, we're going to go for that. Why not? There was a chap once who used to welcome everyone in the balcony. There was no one there, and a few years later there was. It's exciting, isn't it? So, But don't want to be scary this morning. Let's just read the Word of God. So 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 4, running through to 12. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God, and precious to him. I'll drop that down a bit. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. When my version says, we'll never be disappointed. Wouldn't that be good to have a God who would never put us to shame and to have a life when we were never disappointed? Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. A people belonging to God. Wow. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thanks be to God for his word. Isn't that great? Had it at our wedding as well. Can't remember what he said there. It's very good. But the context, David, David um, gave a much uh, 
better exegesis this last week, but the context of this letter is it's to a persecuted church, to dispersed Christians, and it could well have been written by Peter in Rome, maybe around AD 64, which of course was a time of Nero's persecution. And uh, it was around this time that the Apostle Paul was martyred, and uh, some commentaries say there were three waves of persecution going around the Roman world at that time. So these Christians were living under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, not a nice time. And yet Peter writes, this man Peter, he writes with assurance and confidence, and he wants to lift the reader's eyes away from their circumstances and to reinforce Reinforce that they know who they are in God. To know that they're part of a royal priesthood of believers. How did John start the series? Know who you are in God. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. That is so vitally important. Now, Peter, we know, a bit of a departure from the old Peter, don't we? Arrogant, immature, those years with Jesus before the cross. He was a bit of a laugh, wasn't he? He was brash. He was bold, he was bullish, he was self-seeking. I'll never leave you. Post-resurrection, he was humble, he was still bold, he was anointed, and now he was seeking the welfare of others. So, just want to get a bit bit of a background on Peter, um, because he'd suffered a lot for Jesus by the time he wrote this letter. And in Acts 5.40, it's the story when he's brought before the Sanhedrin with John, The man has been raised at the beautiful gate and uh, they bring him in and they say, you must not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they give him a good hiding, beat them up, uh, say you're not to speak in this name anymore. And uh, Peter took it. Then if you just turn to Acts chapter 12. I love the Bible because it's so... It's so, it's so real to life. Sometimes I pick out the good bits or the God bits and you miss the real life stories in amongst it. But just look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. Now, interestingly enough, this has come on the back of the apostles' meeting in Antioch and setting aside Barnabas and Paul. And because Peter was quite a rejected chap who struggled with his own self-image and with that of other Christians, If word had come to him that it was all kicking off in Antioch, it must have been quite hard for him being in Rome, knowing he was in prison. Yet, he was confident in God. The fighting and the struggling was over. So let me read Acts 12, 1-4. About this time, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Isn't that awful? Disciples put to death with the sword. When Herod saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He arrested Peter and put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Passover? Passover. Take him. Now, we go on to the story about you know, the prison guards, and Peter rose up, his chains fell off, his heart was free, and he walked through the gates like the, the invisible man, not the invisible man, the, the heavenly man, you know, walked out, knocked on the door, rode us at the door. Oh, he's at the door, it must be his angel. We think about that, the miracle. But what was Peter going through when he was in prison? Peter didn't know the end. They didn't know the end of the book. Familiar, Passover, the, the Jews at the time wanted this man destroyed, trial, Crucifixion. You think Peter had any thoughts about what might be coming his way? So why was he so confident? Why was Peter confident when he was in prison? Why was he okay about it? Well, I'd like to give you my thoughts on that, which is turn to John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. If he hadn't, we may as well go home. <laughs> and uh, Jesus is raised from the dead. They'd had breakfast on the beach. Peter had done his kind of, I'm in charge bit. And Jesus had a quiet little word and sorted him out. Then this amazing thing. Jesus says the most amazing thing to Peter in John 21, verse 18. He told him to feed the sheep, feed the lambs, restore, restore. Plenty of teaching on that. Verse 18. I tell you the truth, Peter. 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Apostolic calling, follow me. I would suggest that maybe Peter knew that he was going to get old. Maybe Peter had a sense that he was invincible because Jesus had spoken to him. He said, you'll be young, but when you are old. Interesting, isn't it? Maybe he was in prison going, Herod wants to crucify me in the morning. He wants to leave me out, trial, crucify. But Jesus had spoken to me and he said, when you are old. We need to hold on when God speaks to us sometimes, when the circumstances scream against us, to hold on to the genuine, authentic words which we believe God has said to us. Hold on to those words. He wasn't in a mess in prison. He was confident. Jesus spoke to me. He said, I will be old. I have got a job to do. Herod is not going to have fun with me. That's an amazing place that he's come to. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Get a sort of hop through 1 Peter verse by verse, missing out the controversial ones, which hopefully Steve will deal with next week. <laughs> 1 Peter 2 verse 4, And as you come to him, the living stones rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. First and foremost, more than anything else, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you, if you come to this church, you think, what's all this about? People waving their arms in the air and making silly noises in their mouth. Look, come to Jesus. It's because we love Jesus. If you don't know him, if, you've got, if, if, if there's just that heaviness in your life, you need to know him as your Lord and as your Saviour. Very simply, Jesus, my life's a mess. I need you to take away the bad things that I've done. And Lord, somehow you're going to give me new life. And Jesus will give you new life and he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. And you'll have a power that you've never known before. Not a power just to do stuff, but to know him. To love him. Know Jesus, first of all. If you're a Christian of many years standing, Pastor Johnson, there. It's a man who still knows Jesus, who still puts Jesus first. Jesus first in everything. Not just marriage, you know, life, finances, everything. Jesus first. And he will never, ever disappoint. But the world rejected him. And the world will sometimes reject us. You know, sometimes you're, you're going along, you're doing your stuff, and you just start getting grating and worn down. There's something spiritual that happens because we're children of God. And there's a warfare that's warring against us, which means we can be rejected by people, and we don't really quite know why. It's horrible, but I'm afraid it's part of the deal. And I've got no great words of encouragement except happen to Jesus he will never leave us nor forsake us. But when we're rejected, please be rejected because we are true to the kingdom of God, not because we're obnoxious and annoying. Larry Tomzak said at his evangelism um, uh, seminar in 1984, he said, uh, he said, I preached the gospel to 10 people today. And he said, but I alienated 100% of them because I was so obnoxious. So let's share Jesus in our life Let's be appropriate. You know, if you're talking to a, you know, a guy in a garage, make it relevant to a garage. If you're talking to someone who's struggling, relevant. But let's just be Jesus to people. Let's not hit them because they're closed down. Be passionate, but be sensitive. Be passionate about Jesus. Be passionate about him, but be sensitive. Because people... I'll say, Jesus, oh, Steve, Jesus loves you so much. You say, well, yeah, mate, but, you know, look at your life. So, may our lives reflect the beauty of the Lord, as the song says. Verse 5, afraid it's time for Julian to get on his soapbox, and I think everyone's already way ahead of me. Verse 5 says this. Getting younger. You also like living stones up are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Oh dear, oh dear. It's about living stones. 
not individual stones. The Bible makes it so clear that to receive a full expression of the life of Jesus, we need to be part of his body. We are a royal priesthood, underlined, not lots of individual Christians doing our things. We are being built into something, ongoing process, but we are being built. Dead stones do as they're told. (laughs) However, living stones move about, knock around. Proverbs 27, 17, anybody? Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Okay? Getting boring, so let's do the children's bit. (laughs) Oh, that's the cakes. I need a volunteer who's happy to be embarrassed in front of everybody and look silly. (laughs) Right, Barbara, in this bag, I have a bag of broken pieces of glass. I'd like you to put your hand in and wiggle your hand around as much as you like. Now bring out your bloodied and painful hand. Ooh, it's magic. We're not allowed to, are we? Thank you very much, Barbara. See? Never be frightened if you call. The reason is, last year I spent many a happy hour not only praying on the beach, but also picking up glass on the beach. And if you go just below the high tide mark, you'll see thousands and thousands of pieces of glass. And, yeah, I've got a load of these from the bottom of Bill and Sheila's bit of beach. And the thing is, you get some that are sharp, and you get others that are round and they're beautiful, and you can make beautiful mosaics, which I will get around to one day. But when you have glass initially, it's very sharp and very damaging. But what is it that makes this round and holdable and beautiful? That's right, the sea, and it knocks against all the other stones and all the other glass, and it softens it down. Do you meet Christians who sometimes feel like they've smashed a bottle and they're putting it in your face? Or do you meet people who've been washed, knocked around, worked out relationships with one another, had disagreements but resolved it, had tears over things that have happened but have got through with God? That's what God wants to do with us. And if I'd thought of that six weeks ago, I would have done a beautiful mosaic with a picture of John and David going like that, with us going like that. <laughs> but that's what he does you see I saw something so exciting this morning in in 1 Samuel um, and it's not in the notes it's absolutely brilliant you know David David, the little boy with the sling got anointed what he did was he he put on the wrong armour we know that story, great preacher about putting on the wrong armour but David was going to fight Goliath Spit, spit. David was going to fight Goliath. So what he did was he went to the brook and he got five, five, five smooth. Even in the NIV it says smooth. He got five smooth stones. It's exciting. He got five smooth stones. Honed people are more effective for the gospel. People that have had the edges knocked off, people that have had to work out relationships, cried the tears in private, worked stuff through with one another in the church, honed stones are effective. They're the ones that are going to knock down the giants. Yes, let's be enthusiastic. Let's go for it. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. But let's be those smooth stones that are going to be effective for the gospel. I really feel that is so important. Smooth stones. Smooth stones. You know, in a church, we bash against one another. We knock, knock about, knock next to one another. It's all part of God's honing process. We get disappointed. Opportunities are withdrawn. God is looking at our heart all the time. All the time, he's checking out our heart and checking out our motives. Can I trust you? Can I trust you with this? Ephesians three, fourteen says this. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole, sorry, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints. Now, individually, all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly beyond all we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. Whoa. To him be glory in the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Yeah? Forever and ever. Amen. We're a body. We're a royal priesthood. We are a family. We are individuals. That's special. Jesus died for us as individuals. Yes, yes. He also died for a bride, for a people. And that's what we're part of. Verse 6, again, it reinforces how precious Jesus is. See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone. The most precious thing God could have given us was his only son. The most precious, beautiful thing. Looking through Genesis recently, and you can see how it starts off man relating to God, and then they have the sacrifices, and it all gets messier and messier. And then it says, chapter 5, 6, something like this, and then men started to call on the name of the Lord. The presence of God had had to be removed so much because of the sin and horribleness. And, and yet here, he wants to bring us Jesus because he's that precious saviour, died to bring us back together, to restore us to that relationship to God. That's fantastic. So again, Peter reinforces, Jesus, he's central. Jesus Central. That's not a station in New York, by the way. That's a Jesus Central. I'm supposed to get a good laugh. Jesus. Oh, 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 you. Jesus Central in all that we do. He is so precious. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. Remember, this was written to strangers and aliens, which John unpacked for us. But you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. There's our wonderful Jesus again, holding it all together. Fantastic. Everything measured from him. And in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which... God lives by his spirit. God has shown us by his word his ideal structure. And this structure brings strength. There is no place for independence in the family of God. There's just no place for it, no biblical pattern for it at all. We are together and Jesus wants to build us together. Now as an old man now, (laughs) as an old man now, Greater. I can't see. <laughs> Not quite. Three days to go. Hello. Um, <laughs> I can honestly say I've seen independence over many, many years. And I'm going to scrub everything I'm going to say there. But friends, it doesn't work. Be part of the body of Christ. Be, be fitted into the body. Even if you don't feel comfortable, be fitted into the body. Find where God has put you. God has put you in this church or that church. Be part of that church. It won't be perfect, but be part. Be part of the body. Be part of the body of Christ. Allow Jesus to knock the edges off us and submit to him and we will be released. I kind of want to do um, Old MacDonald had a farm now, you know. (laughs) Would he like that? But it says that, you know, Jesus is the one that builds the house. Psalm 127, verse 1. Anyone remember that off the top of their head? Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labour, labour in vain. 
Unless the Lord builds the city, they go. So unless the Lord builds a house. So the Lord wants to build the house. And uh, fantastic. God wants to build the house. And God has given the way he's going to do it, which is through men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to apostles, prophets, pastors and teachers. That's how God's going to do it. And that's the kind of church that um, we are part of and we want to be part of. Independent stones will live alone and are not going to be built into, every, into anything. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the reference point. I'm sure, we've all seen the analogies about that. But Jesus, he is the reference point for everything. And builders will be able to tell you about the cornerstone, the measurements, etc. I'm not going to try to pretend to know that. But Jesus, everything comes from him. Verse 7 tells us that people's reactions to Jesus is to reject him sometimes. It's really sad, isn't it? Really sad. It says in verse 8, He is a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock of offence or a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That is not a question for the cell group notes. <laughs> but also, I don't think that I also think that Jesus was actually sometimes quite offensive to people that tried to come close to him. This is where I start going on the tightrope, so I better get into the scripture very quickly. But if you look in Luke chapter 4, verse 23, the story is Jesus went back to Nazareth. He went in on the Sabbath to the uh, synagogue and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, um, open blind eyes. Um, Today the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. And they're going, oh, this is wonderful. And they were all speaking well of him. So, really good. So he's launched in his ministry. He's come to the synagogue. He's hit them with Isaiah 61, which it wasn't in those days. But you know, he was handed the scroll. He read it. This is great. This is wonderful. And then Jesus, and I say this carefully, actually starts being quite offensive to them. And he says, well, <laughs> you'll probably say physician, heal yourself. And, you know, of course, in the days of Elijah... Um, in the days of Elijah, uh, there were many widows, but of course Elijah went to a foreigner. And in the days of Elisha, in the days of Elisha, Naaman, who was against you lot, he had leprosy, and God healed him. Is that right? They were so furious. They were so furious with him. They took him out of the city to push him off a cliff. This is our Jesus. He was very offensive. He's a rock of offence, stone of stumbling. We should have more time to unpack that in case people get the wrong end of the stick. But all the time he's trying to draw out what's in us. And in the end he drew out what was in those people. And I probably would have been one of them too. I wouldn't have got it. Matthew 15, 22, we read about the, the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. And she has a daughter who is demon-possessed. Now that can't be very nice. And she comes to the disciples, she said... I want to see Jesus. And she's kind of, you get the impression from the word she's following Jesus around saying, heal my daughter, heal my daughter. And they ignored her. Jesus ignored her. And I just wonder whether this might become, um, you know, a nice scripture to stick on the fridge. (laughs) It's in the word. And it's just in Matthew 15, uh, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him and cried out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Good start. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So the disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out afterwards. Make that our church scripture for the year and put it over the front. Jesus said, they said, shall we send her away? Send the word. But what was Jesus trying? Jesus was saying, I just came to the lost sheep of Israel. He was a Jewish guy. He came to the Jewish people. The same happened when the Greeks came to Philip. But Jesus was just seeing what her reaction was to be. And, and eventually she broke through to Jesus and he said, this is, this is amazing. She, the woman came and she knelt before Jesus. Lord, help me. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. It's in the book. Now, that sounds very offensive. What was Jesus doing? 
He knew he had his calling. His calling was specific. But he still loved this woman enough to respect her, to speak to her, which culturally wasn't really the done thing. And she broke through that and she said, Lord, even if the dogs have bread, crumbs will fall, crumbs will fall to the ground and the dogs will eat the crumbs. I know that I can even pick the bits up. And Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. We have a Jesus who sometimes hides himself, sometimes almost appears to offend us. Why? Because he wants to find out what's really in here and draw it out so that he can bring his truth in. We've experienced that. I know others in this church have experienced that. I'm not going to give any examples. But (laughs) when you're offended, when you're hurt, and you correctly react, Jesus can trust you. So, Jesus was a rock of offence, and he actually showed that during his days here on earth. Don't blame the enemy. Don't waste your time with the enemy. It might be God. What did that high priest say? Let's be careful that we don't, we don't, we don't go too heavy on these guys, because we might find ourselves fighting God. Let's just be wise. It's not a heavy thing, but let's just be wise. How are we doing? Not bad. Okay. So we are a holy priesthood. However, can't believe I'm saying this, we're made up of individual priests. We are individual people. Loved by God, chosen, created, someone, three, nine for details. So I thought, well, if we're priesthood, what, what's the Old Testament pattern? So I went back to Exodus. So if you'd like to turn to Exodus 29, please. The Old Testament's great because it's like stories which has such practical application. Real people living in close proximity together trying to work it out. Really, the the ten chapters before and after, it's best to kind of read ten either side to get the context. But the context of this is that Moses is going up and down the mountain like a yo-yo, sometimes taking people with him, sometimes not, sometimes in the presence of God for 40 days. I won't go there, because we'll be here till midnight. And each time God was giving him a pattern, this is how I want the house made, this is how I want the utensils, this is how I want the priest, because God's heart was to get close to the people. And because of sin, this was the only way. So this was, this was God's way of doing it. So Moses is up the mountain, and he's getting the pattern for what has to happen. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the first four verses of Exodus 29. And this is all in the context of the consecration of the priests. So Moses, uh, God speaks to Moses. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, so that they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect. And from fine wheat flour without yeast, make bread and cakes mixed with oil and wafers and spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them, along with the bull and two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Wash them with water. Just nip into five. Take the garment and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe and the ephrod, and the ephrod itself and the breastplate. Consecration of the priests. You know, it was a serious and a laborious and a reverent thing to do. It was an important thing to do, to be prepared, to prepare the priests, to wash them before they came into the presence of God. New Testament, Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and our waters washed, our bodies washed with pure water. Old Testament truth, New Testament truth. Exodus 25, 5 to 9. The priests were robed. Now, much to the shock horror of some people, I'm actually going to read something from Revelation. I probably have, I'm probably known as someone that doesn't read it much, but here we go. Revelation 7, chapter, uh, 7 14 says this. They are those who have come out of the great tribulation They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
And 22.14 says this. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. It's a precious thing to be washed, and it's a precious thing, old-fashioned, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Purest, the purest, most wonderful sacrifice. Oh, if only the Holy Spirit, if I could only let, let him reveal to me what that meant. Oh, it would be different. be different. Psalm 132, verse 9 says, May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. Isaiah 61:10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of... Ra- Who's singing the song in their head? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Then it goes, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of righteousness. And then you hear Dave Kellingham cough on the, on the 82 Dales tape. Here, check it out. But that's truth. That is truth. Praise God when we can sing truth. Delight greatly in the Lord. Our soul delights greatly in the God of our salvation. He has clothed us. If we weren't clothed with robes of righteousness, we couldn't come into his presence. End of story. It's as simple as that. So we're washed and we're prepared as priests to come into his presence. We are robed. Exodus 29 10 to 28 talks about the sacrifices and the shedding of blood. And Hebrews 10, 19, 22, again, talks about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made, a sacrifice which is sufficient for all time. If you put your trust in Jesus and ask him to become your Lord and Saviour, you will be saved and you can be free. Exodus 30, 22, 33 speaks about the anointing oil. There's a lot of talk about the anointing oil as well in Exodus. Fantastic. And of course, we are filled and anointed and be being filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. We, I, need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So, Old Testament pattern, New Testament application. So, Everything seems hunky-dory. We've got our priests. We've got the presence of God. We're a royal priesthood. And, yeah, we have a few problems, but we're getting there. So everything's great, isn't it? Oh, no, it isn't. (laughs) Unfortunately, Exodus 29 is followed by Exodus 32, with some other stuff in the middle. Good old Aaron. Oh dear, Moses' brother. So Moses is up the mountain, which Aaron has already been up as well. And Moses has gone quite a long time. This might have been one of his 40-day stints. So the people come and they say, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. What's happening? We need a God. We need to worship. We, you know, we've, got to do, we've got to do something. And he says, give me your earrings. Give me your rings. Give me your nose studs. Give me everything, all your jewellery. And Aaron, Aaron, the very one that God is giving this pattern about, starts making a golden calf. Starts making an idol, the very thing, because that's what they knew from Egypt. They were still living the old way, the world's way. Let's bring the world's way into the kingdom. Let's not. God is creating the template, the pattern right now. Oh, dear, 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 dear. It's a constant warning to us as people and to leadership. It's a constant warning that no matter how holy things appear, we've got to keep on track with God. Good one. Second on the right. It's a terrible verse. It says they sat down to play. There's the golden calf. You've probably seen those old paintings. Doing all of this around this golden calf. They sat down to play, and there is God on the mountain, giving the pat, this is what I want to do, this is how I want to get close to you, this is how we're going to do it. You know, wash the water, robes, shedding of blood. And then down there are the people, they couldn't even hang on. 
And one of the men that was going to benefit most of all just threw it all away. I kind of want to do an intensive lean at this point and say, brothers, let's not throw it away. Let's not throw it away. Let's not throw it away. Let's hold true. Because when you start seeing increase in the anointing, you start to see increase in healing. Maybe this happens. Something exciting happens. Big financial provision. We can get excited. And very quickly, our eyes just start knocking off Jesus a bit. Just, just a little bit. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's, be, let's continue to love one another. Whether it's good or bad, let's love one another. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the priests can get distracted. And we can actually start priesting the wrong thing. Speak to myself. Let's keep Jesus as the one that we are ministering to. Let's give God the time to work on us. Let's submit to him and let him knock the edges off. Many years ago, I heard Bryn Jones talk about a tunnel. And it's quite a famous story in our house where someone was going through this tunnel and they're having a really, really hard time. And they said, God, I can't cope with this anymore. And God said, okay. There was a little side escape route. So they climbed out of the tunnel onto the top. There was a pathway and the pathway came right back to the front of the tunnel again. So keep going. God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. If it gets tough, don't run away. And toughness is different for different people. For some people it's health issues. For other people it's family or something like that. Whatever it is, hold true. Hold on. How many people have had the the thing prophesied over them? I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good, not for harm. Plans to give you a hope in the future. It's true. See the context as well. It's true. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he might, if you're lucky, direct some of your paths occasionally. No, he will direct your path. But when we live as best we can, and not in a legalistic way, by what it says in the book. As best we can. So we are chosen. Verse 9 of 1 Peter. Well, I'll leave Exodus for the moment. You can enjoy that as coffee time reading later, or water reading later this week. Um, so verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Now, one of the reasons we are chosen, which is wonderful that we're chosen, is that we can proclaim, proclaim the excellency of God, proclaim the wonder of God, that we can worship as we did this morning, worship in the car, worship when we're hoovering, worship when we're in the shops, the, to worship the excellency of God. Because we have been called out of darkness. Are you glad you're out of darkness? Do we sometimes go back into darkness a little bit? It ain't very nice, is it? It either comes over us or we naughtily walk into it. Isn't it wonderful that he has called us out? Because he is excellent. Colossians says, he has rescued us. (laughs) Rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of his son, Jesus, whom he loves. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. The only way for us to be able to have a relationship with God is through this old-fashioned word redemption because Jesus has been in our place for us. That's why we can confess Jesus, say, Lord, help me, forgive me of my sin. I want to know you as my Lord and Saviour. And then we are redeemed and we come into his family. That's us lot. As as the message says, and because of time I won't read it, it's this great phrase, you were the ones who were rejected but are now accepted. We have gone from rejected to accepted. Man, I got rejected a lot when I was little. Man, I got, but no matter what happens today, even if I have feelings of it today, Jesus does not reject us. He does not reject anyone in this room. He does not. (coughs) As John shared with us initially, Worship is our response to God's mercy because we are called out of darkness. So let our actions reflect that. The final couple of verses, I'm just going to touch on a couple of bits here. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from from sinful desires 
which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works and glorify God in the day he visits us. American Standard says, I urge you to abstain from various lusts. What an onomatopoeic word that is. Okay, so here we go, chaps. Psalm 119, 9 to 11. How can a young man keep his way... That's that's all right, I don't worry about it anymore. (laughs) Today is like a thousand years. No, 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 it's relevant for all of us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you, Lord God, with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Remember, temptation is not sin. It's our wrong response to it that causes all the nasty and grottiness. Also, it talks about these evil desires and so forth. They war against our soul. Sometimes it does feel like war is being waged against us. And when you look at Ephesians 6, it talks about the different things that are against us. And just a little aside, don't worry about this. It seems like there's four different things that are really coming to give us a hard time, you know. Heavenly places, there's this spiritual force of weakness. There's a lot going on. There's a, there's a lot of pressure. There's, uh, it, it was said yesterday morning, it's a word I've had in my mind all week, bombarding. Do you feel bombarded? Sometimes bombarded by evil, bombarded by the news, bombarded by this, bombarded by that. We're bombarded. But how can we stay focused in the midst of that? We read the word of God, we're filled with the spirit of God, and we're together in community with others that go, yeah, you know what, gets me down a bit as well. Then we're not alone, we're not isolated. Remember last time, do not be isolated as the people of God. So, the final thing that I would like to do is I talked earlier about the fact that uh, the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, and Jesus is the, is the cornerstone. Now, last week, we, we handed out the New Frontiers magazine, and I won't ask, like I did last time, how many people have had a look Can I strongly, urgently recommend that to you? Can I especially recommend Terry Virgo's article at the beginning from Romans 6? It can change lives. that, that, that That piece of scripture can change lives. And I want to read that to you because it's in the context of resisting evil and dealing with the stuff that comes against us. Romans 6 11 says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 14, for sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. I say this carefully, but often in the past, we've gone into churches, and you have to come in from a place of being a filthy sinner, and you've had a really bad week, and you've been really rubbish, and you need about half an hour to get yourself sorted out. And then you can jump around. Then even if you go to a meeting in the afternoon when you haven't had time to have a good sin, you have to start there again. No, brothers and sisters, we are saints. Saints who fall short and who get it wrong sometimes, yes. We are not sinners, we are saints. And Terry unpacks really important apostolic doctrine. Read it. Ask, say, Father, please show me. Because it will change. It could even change the way some of us pray. From a point of view of, you know, I'm seated with him in heavenly places rather than, oh Lord, I said bottom on Tuesday and I feel really guilty. So let's look. Romans 6 says this The death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. 
For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Amazing grace. Written by a man, slave trader, who'd done appalling things. Romans, written by a murderer, Paul. The Psalms, written by a murderer and an adulterer, David. Isn't God good that he forgives us and sets us free? And these people knew who they were in God. That's not an excuse for us just to live casually. But if we sin, we have an advocate and we can come to Jesus. So let's just pray. Thank you for your attention. Much appreciated. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that your word is truth, that it is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. It is is life to us. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to teach us from your word and that you would show us how you want us to live our lives. We want to thank you that we are saints, that we are seated with you in heavenly places. Father, I thank you that you will give us grace as we continue to go through the honing process that you take us through. And Father, I pray that you would raise us up in this church, many of us and us as a body, that we could be smooth stones who could be effective for the increase of the kingdom of God. Father, we pray that there would be an increase an increase in life, spirit, health in this body. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would increase us in numbers, you would trust us with more people. Lord Jesus, we ask that many people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, that they would be baptised in water, baptised in the Holy Spirit, and Father, they would be added to the church. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. We look at the cross, the empty cross, the empty grave. We thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord Jesus, and that you are now sovereign Lord, King of kings, above all things. Jesus is Lord. Amen.